Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's officially December, the month where women magically transform into superheroes, juggling parties, concerts, markets, and the ever-growing list of holiday to-dos. But let's not forget the most important task, finding time for ourselves amidst the chaos. So as you dash through the snow or the shopping mall, let What She Said be your festive companion, offering a mix of laughter, insight, and a much-needed break from the holiday hustle. Here's what's on the show's festive platter this week. Kicking things off, I chat with Christina Cleary, a powerhouse in promoting gender equality and empowering women in leadership. As the founder of Excel, Christina brings a wealth of experience to the table. Today, we delve into a topic that hits close to home this season. Why women, especially those in leadership roles, are feeling more overwhelmed than ever. It's a candid conversation about the challenges and solutions for women who are doing it all. Next, I'm embracing the holiday spirit with a twist of kindness and adventure, thanks to Jana Hallam, the creative brain behind Wonderwell.ca and the adorable Kindness Mouse. In a world where parents are navigating the pressures of holiday traditions like Elf on the Shelf, Jana offers a refreshing and mindful alternative. We explore how the Kindness Mouse is revolutionizing family traditions during the holidays and beyond. Anne Brody is back with her weekly dose of entertainment. This time we're delving into Bradley Cooper's epic Maestro, a film he wrote, directed, starred in, and produced, celebrating the life of cultural icon Leonard Bernstein. Plus, Anne gives us a scoop on the holiday movie of the season, Candy Cane Lane, with Eddie Murphy now streaming on Prime. Joining me next is Chrissy Newton, a trailblazer in the podcasting world, especially in the realms of science, space, and the unexplained. Her podcast, Rebelliously Curious, has been turning heads and recently snagged a nomination for Outstanding Science Series at the Canadian Podcast Awards. I'm thrilled to have Chrissy here to discuss her journey, her groundbreaking podcast, and her impact in a traditionally male-dominated field. I then dive into a topic that's as intriguing as it is controversial with author Rebecca Martin. Her new book, The Work Boyfriend, offers a riveting look into the complexities of workplace relationships and the fine line between professional and personal boundaries. Set against the holiday backdrop, it's a story that might hit close to home for many. Wrapping up today's show... I have Julia Hu, co-founder of Mr. and Mrs. Bao, a culinary gem in London, Ontario, known for its mouth-watering bao buns. We'll chat about the realities of running a food service business in 2023, the challenges they face, and why supporting small, locally-owned restaurants is more important than ever. So, as we navigate this season's merry madness, Let What She Said be your companion, offering a mix of thought-provoking discussions, entertainment, and a sprinkle of holiday cheer. Right here on 105.9 The Region. In today's first interview, I'm joined by Christina Cleary, a trailblazer in advocating for gender equality and empowering women in leadership roles. With her extensive experience and as the founder of Excel, Christina has unique insights into the challenges women face in the professional world. Today, we're discussing a crucial topic, especially this time of year, why women are feeling more overwhelmed than ever, especially in leadership roles, and what can be done about it. Christina, it's an honor to have you join me on What She Said. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. I'm excited to be here. So from your experience, why do you think women, particularly in senior positions, are feeling increasingly overwhelmed? Well, I think that there are so many reasons for this, and there's not necessarily one answer. But let me focus by highlighting the number one issue I see women struggling with over and over. And 
that is when we progress throughout our careers and our lives. So not just professionally, but also personally, um, we take on more and more. And women have such tremendous ambition, which I think is absolutely amazing. And that can both help us as well as harm us. Because what happens is we end up saying yes to everyone and everything, which is great, except for it does often lead to overwhelm. And one of the things that we're never taught and that we typically don't spend a lot of time on is the fact that we do have to learn how to set boundaries and be a little more intentional about what we are saying yes to and what we are saying no to. And so I find overwhelm is often, you know, a result of us saying yes, 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 until we realize we've run out of time, we've run out of energy, and, you know, we need to give ourselves a break. Absolutely. And even I think for for entrepreneurs out there listening, you know, it's not so much that we're saying yes to other people. It's that we we bite off more than we can chew because we want to do so much, right? We Absolutely. feel this drive. It's crazy. Absolutely. And I thought, you know, I, I've lived in both worlds now. I was in the corporate industry for over 20 years and now as an entrepreneur. And I remember thinking when I left the corporate world, okay, I'm going to take a sabbatical. I need to, you know, recharge. I need to refuel. And when I decided to start my own business, I thought, you know what, I really want to lean into having more flexibility, having a little more time to focus on my children and my family. And what I realized in the first two years is that, you know, it wasn't as easy as just changing roles or changing companies or having a new vocation. This was all inherent in me that I just, the roller coaster starts and you get so ambitious and you start taking on more and more. And it didn't matter that I no longer had a boss telling you what to do. I was taking it on and I was the one creating the overwhelm. So we are very much, um, you know, sometimes the problem ourselves. Oh, I think we have a whole other discussion right there, but let's stick with this one for now. So we're to, let's move on to burnout a little bit because, yeah, yeah. you know, how does it manifest differently for women in leadership roles? Yeah, yeah. You know, I find one of the one of the number one reasons for this is because, you know, we worry about everybody else. So we take it all on ourselves and we're very hesitant to delegate and lean on other people. Because we are so busy ourselves, we think, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. Like I don't want to overwhelm my team, or I don't want to overload Janice, or I don't want to overload Stephanie. So then we hoard it to ourselves and we end up, you know, becoming again like part of the problem. If we became more comfortable in realizing that in order to be a more senior and to be a more effective leader, we have to delegate, we have to lean on others, um, and we have to become comfortable with that. It's almost like this, you know, a muscle that you have to exercise is how to, you know, delegate, how to lean on others, and how to, um, you know, leverage the resources around us so that we aren't doing it all and we don't burn out at the end of the day. Do you have any advice then for women struggling to set healthy boundaries in their professional and personal lives? Absolutely. So I think, first of all, like really understanding what boundaries are and what, what setting boundaries means. Um, I look at setting boundaries as a leadership skill, just like any other skill, whether it be public speaking, whether it be, um, you know, the art of effectively running meetings, etc. Setting boundaries is a skill that we have to learn, we have to understand, and we have to lean into and exercise. Just like every other leadership skill, setting boundaries is a skill that can be learned and it can be practiced. So understanding, you know, what are your boundaries? What are the rules that you are going to live by as a professional and also in your personal life? Because, you know, setting boundaries can also be very difficult outside of your professional career, um, you know, whether that mean, you know, what we're saying yes to with regards to our children, our families, or our partners, or our friends. Um, we all know, you know, there are sometimes we have relationships that are not necessarily doing us any good, setting boundaries when it comes to relationships. So setting boundaries is a life tool um, that needs to be applied not only when it comes to a leadership role, but also in those roles we play outside of the office or the workplace. I love so much that you identified this as a skill. I can't emphasize that enough because, you know, we often hear this. We hear it all the time. You need boundaries. You have to set boundaries. Yeah. That's yeah. great. But you need, you need to tell me how to do it. Yeah. Nobody what ever showed me. How do I do it? Exactly. And we're never taught this. This is the one skill that 
You think about your whole life as a child, you know, you're taught to say yes to your parents. Then you go to school and you're taught to say yes to your teachers. Then you go to post-education or your first workplace and manager and you're taught to say yes to your leader. You're taught to say yes to your professors, et cetera. You're never taught to say no. You're never taught that maybe you should push back and you're never taught how to do it in a way that is still professional um, and, you know, that is that is received by the other party as well. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and, and another, you know, thing that women are really conditioned for is people pleasing. Um, yes. You know, so how does this impact our professional journey and what steps can we take to overcome this tendency? Yeah, I think that uh, women in particular have this people pleasing gene that is just in our DNA. And we want to make everybody happy everybody happy, um, which means putting ourselves last a lot of the time. So I think that it's important to understand, you know, what makes you happy. And as I mentioned before, um, I really think that there's an important exercise when it comes to understanding, you know, what are your top five values? What are the rules that you want to live by? Um, and I think that that will play an important role in terms of being more aware of when you are just saying yes, for the fact of that, you know, for the fact of pleasing somebody else, or if you are saying yes to things that are in alignment with your own values um, and in alignment with the things that are going to progress you to your goals. And, you know, the pressure is, is big all year, but right now this, this time of year, it's, it's crazy. So are there yeah. any practical tips you can offer women to manage the responsibilities, extra responsibilities, I should add, yeah. and stress yeah. during this very busy time? Yeah. Tis the season, right? So, um, an exercise that I often do with my clients right now is I have them, you know, put themselves 30, 60 days into the future. So if we were to, you know, transport ourselves to January and we were to look back on the holiday season, I would ask them, you know, what makes the holiday season successful for you? What would that look like? If you were looking back and you were to say, you know, that was such a wonderful time of year. It was so successful. What makes it successful? What does that look like for you? Is it that you were able to have some downtime? Is it that you were able to spend a lot of time with friends, with family? Is it that your, you know, your table and your house were beautifully decorated? What is important to you? And then knowing what that looks like, it's that vision that we want to start with, is creating a plan and ensuring that we are executing and that we are focused on the activities that are going to help bring that vision to life. Not somebody else's vision, not the visions that we see on Instagram and Facebook and social media all over the place of what they think the perfect holiday season looks like. Um, but again, all of this is an alignment. So understanding what you want what success looks like, and then ensuring that you're setting boundaries and only focusing on the activities that help bring that vision to a reality. Incredible. Christina, your insights are, are not just enlightening, but really empowering. So I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom with, with listeners today. Uh, where can they find you and connect with you? Yeah, so people can reach out to me anytime by email, Christina with a K at Excel, A-C-C-E-L-L-E dot com. They can go to the Excel website, which is again, A-C-C-E-L-L-E dot com. Um, and they can also connect with me on Facebook, on LinkedIn at Christina Cleary, on Instagram at Christina Cleary. I'm on social media. So all you have to do is Google me and I'm sure you'll find a link that'll take you to me. Yeah. And I want people to connect with you. They need to start building yes. that skill, right? Of, you know, boundaries. <laughs> yeah, I would love to connect with your audience. So I encourage anybody to reach out. Um, I'd love you to become part of my circle. And I look forward to continuing the conversation, um, whether it be over social media or perhaps in a workshop or a seminar or, or on a Zoom webinar. I would love it. All right. Incredible. Christina, thank you so much. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. A cozy little Christmas here with you. In this next interview, we're embracing the spirit of kindness and adventure with Jana Hallam, the innovative mind behind wonderwell.ca and the delightful 
kindness mouse. As parents grapple with the pressures of holiday traditions like Elf on the Shelf, the bane of my existence for many years, I might add, Jana has introduced a refreshing alternative that focuses on teaching children mindfulness, kindness, and a sense of adventure all year round. So let's dive in and discover how the Kindness Mouse is changing the game in holiday family traditions. Jana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, when I first received uh, this email, I sort of squealed with delight because it's about time that elf gets kicked out of the house. <laughs> I personally have issues with him. So you can you tell us a bit about your journey um, and what inspired you to create the Kindness Mouse? Absolutely. So when my twins were three, I was looking for an alternative to a very popular children's holiday tradition. And I was inspired to use play to teach good values in a fun and unique way and not just confined to a season, but all year round. Combine that with coming out of the pandemic and being in a time where kindness couldn't be more timely. I looked at it, looked at it as an opportunity to combine a fun play experience to teach these kind values. And how does it differ? How does using the kindness most differ from the elf on the shelf? So it's not confined to a season. This is something that can be used year round. And so we start with the story when a mouse is at your door. And so we learn about this mouse who's on a journey, much like all of us seeking its place, longing for connection, and ultimately seeking kindness. And so the mouse convinces his family to let him embark on this adventure and stay in the home. And so we have this traveling mouse who delivers prompts for kindness, compassion, and inspiring the good within. It's really a flexible duration and pace, depending on if the parent wants to use it once a day, once a week, once a month, or as needed in the home. And so the hope is that children can see part of themselves in this mouse and that this mouse carries with it a sense of purpose, meaning connection, and ultimately more empathy in our lives. Something we need a lot more of. And and I love that it teaches mindfulness and kindness. So how does the mouse, the kindness mouse, engage children in these important lessons? So when a child wakes up to see where this mouse has traveled, it's a pretty magical experience. So it's a small effort from a caregiver for a very, like a big response for the from the child. And so the mouse travels to fun, silly, or hidden places within a home. Doesn't have to be elaborate. But in that big response and these prompts, it's teaching kindness in a way that makes it memorable, shareable, and lasting. It's really a conversation piece in and out of the home. And so I'm curious about some of the adventures the mouse can take. So can you share a favorite story or activity that comes to mind with uh, this cute little character? Absolutely. So there's three categories of prompts with the 24 card pack. And there's activity-based prompts, there's engagement, and then there's affirmation type prompts. So one of the activities is... I fell down and made a mess, as you can see. It's a lot of work for a mouse. Will you help me? So we're engaging in what does that look like if somebody needs help? How does it make you feel? How do you think they're feeling? So really, in providing conversation prompts for the caregiver as well. So having these fun little setups that really help these children develop and practice that empathy muscle. I, I love this so much. I honestly, I can't say enough good things about it. So tell me about um, how you got started because you went through the Accelerator Center, right? That's right. So the Accelerator Center out of Waterloo, uh, that program has provided such incredible support, resources, a network of mentors, partnerships, and even seed funding. And so having access to the level of mentorship that was provided has definitely been a highlight for me. And when you have a community like the Accelerator Center, behind you, it makes the challenges of entrepreneurship easier to overcome because there are many. And so I've been supported in ways I couldn't have imagined. And I'm so grateful. So as you grow, are you imagining adding more toys to Wonderwell? Absolutely. We want to look at how else we can support parents and caregivers with fun tools to teach other things. We know there's so much support or so so much uh, emphasis on parents to help their children with social emotional learning mindfulness, creativity, authenticity, gratitude. These are all really big themes. And I think it's so important that we wire them young. We we get them early to start learning and adapting. So we're looking at other characters to do that. So for all the people listening then who are so eager to kick the elf out and replace him, uh, where can they find the kindness mouse? And are there any special features or sort of upcoming additions they should look out for? Absolutely. So they can go to wonderwell.ca. And we do have a bonus for orders placed within the next week. We have a pretty adorable holiday hat and scarf set while supplies last. So they can head over wonderwell.ca 
or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Wonderwell Toy Co. All right. And I am thrilled to share that we're going to do a giveaway uh, over on Instagram. So go over to what she said talk.com after today's show and enter to win a kindness mouse for your house. Hey, I'm a poet and I didn't know it. So thank you so much, Jana, for joining me today. It's been a delight. Thank you so much, Candace. Just you and me under a tree. A cozy little Christmas here with you. Time for Saturday Night at the Movies, and Anne Brody joins me now with the latest in entertainment for us. We are starting off with a couple that focus on music this week. Yes, we are. Leonard Bernstein, the great composer-conductor, is played by Bradley Cooper in a new film called Maestro. Now, Cooper not only stars, he directs, he wrote the thing, and he produced it. So, And it's an epic. It's absolutely beyond the pale. Um, the cinematography is so intense and it swirls and sweeps and moves and his vision, uh, you know, a huge vision of a macro vision and a micro vision. It just all swirls together. It's, it's intense. And sometimes it's, it's almost too much. It's so full of emotion and tension and stuff that you you almost need a breather from it. But it's quite brilliant. And now Steven Spielberg was originally to direct it, but he told uh, Cooper to do it. And I mean, Cooper did a very, uh, I mean, an outstanding first job. He <clears throat> um, might want to rate it in a little bit for the next one, but it's, I think I call it radical exuberance. He's just so in love with the character. Uh, Bernstein was, um, of course, a legend. Uh, around the world internationally and it looks at his life and his his partnership with his wife played by Carrie Mulligan and his dalliances with men and whatnot uh, but it it's very intense it's very internal as well as being huge and and out there it's an amazing balance that he's got now and it's definitely worth seeing it'll lift you out of your seat um, and it's in theaters now and on Netflix December 20th. What's interesting to me is I've sort of, I guess, witnessed the evolution of Bradley Cooper. I remember him when he was on Alias years and years and years ago yeah, with Jennifer yeah. Garner, just when he started acting. And to see him go from that to The Hangover to now this. So tell me about uh, the next one, then about John Baptiste. John Baptiste, who was uh, the uh, musical director for Stephen Colbert's show, and I just loved him. He's just got so much talent. He knows so much about music. Any genre you can throw at him, he does, and he creates music. So this uh, uh, special on American Symphony on Netflix concerns his creation of a new um, uh, four-part symphony that he created over four years, and how he's about to present it at Carnegie Hall. So it's it's like a, a, a gemstone in his life. And it's all about the the run up to the uh, to the premiere. Um and you learn so much more about what he's capable of. I don't I can't think of a musical mind that comes close these days to to his what he knows, what he does and what he can create. Uh, so he's on this a really intense journey doing this uh, symphony, and his wife and longtime partner is dealing with uh, chemotherapy. Um, so it's he's torn between these two loves, and the the tension is, uh, you know, it's it's pretty up there. But you just come away from it so admiring of John Baptiste's incredible talent. Really, he's one of a kind. Much and where's that? Where's that playing in? That is on Netflix. All right, wonderful. Tell me about May December. Well, well, well. <laughs> Do you remember a few years ago, Mary Kay Letourneau and Billy? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's inspired by it, but it's not based on it. So what we have now 
is a woman played by Julianne Moore um, and her husband played by uh, Charles Melton, who just won the Gotham Award for this last night, Best Supporting Actor, and he was from Riverdale. So he plays her husband. He's 36 years old. She's, I would say, approaching 50. And they're sending their kids off to college. I mean, it's that extreme. So they married, as did Mary Kay and Lily. They married after she got out of prison. She she was sent to prison twice, and they built a life together afterwards. So now a company is making a movie on their lives. So they send the actor um, uh, along to study Gracie, Julianne Moore's character. and it's Natalie Portman. She plays Elizabeth. So the questioning really lifts a veil for the young man, <laughs> young old man, Charles Melton plays. Um, and he begins to think about, well, gee, maybe, maybe Gracie did abuse me and exploit me as a child. And wow, I feel exploited by this woman who's following me around, asking me a lot of questions about it, the actor. Uh, so it's a pretty interesting thing. And Julianne Moore plays this character who is so removed from empathy. She has no conception of what other people are feeling, just what she wants. And so you can see how in the past her character might have abused a child for her own uh, benefits. And of course, you know, that the, she was a teacher and he was a, a grade seven student or thereabouts so you know it, it's it was a tough situation all right so where's where's may december playing Anne? it's in theaters now and it's also going to netflix so netflix is really building up its holiday uh array of films okay uh we have like 30 seconds left here um and you promised me holiday movies and you brought me one this week so tell me about candy cane lane well eddie murphy he's back as a suburban dad and he and his family are caught up in this, Tracy Ellis Ross, who I love, they're caught up in this neighborhood battle to see who's going to do the best decorations. And there's a monetary prize at the end. And of course, they go to any length to make it happen. Um, and he's disgusted by the whole thing because he likes to do handmade wooden wooden decorations. But And he gets on the wrong side of a an evil trickster Christmas elf called Pepper, who may help, may hinder. So it's it's cute. It's definitely for kids and family viewing, and it is on Prime Video. All right. Excellent. Uh, we'll see you next week with more. Thanks for joining me, Anne. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. In this next interview, I'm thrilled to have Chrissy Newton join me, a trailblazer in the world of podcasting, particularly in the realms of science, space, and the unexplained. Her podcast, Rebelliously Curious, has been making waves and has recently earned a nomination for Outstanding Science Series at the 6th Annual Canadian Podcast Awards. Chrissy, it's fantastic to have you with me today to talk about your journey, your podcast, and the impact you're making in what often seems like a really male-dominated space to me. Thank you for having me. Uh, Honestly, it's been such a joy podcasting in Canada, and and thankfully, people listening around the world, too. So just happy to be here and just excited to be able to talk about the show and everything else attached to it. So, well, congratulations first on the nomination. This is huge. And and so can you tell us then about sort of the inception of Rebelliously Curious and what inspired you to start this podcast? For sure. So I've been a long fan and follower of the UAP topic. So if some people know what that is, that's an identified aerial phenomenon or UFOs. I've also been in love with science and technology since a little kid. So when the day that I was able to merge those together and be able to use uh, communications and podcasting as that form, that's that's really what started it. 
So it's just a, a love and interest since a child, but also be able to, yeah, use the communications background I have. Uh, my background is in public relations. So I've always been on the other side. So finally, I get to come forward and do some more related media and journalistic work, which is really wonderful. And your podcast covers a range of really fascinating topics from UFOs to futurism. What drives your passion for these subjects and how do you choose what to explore in each episode? That's a great question. So the passion just really comes from, you know, being curious. That's why it's called rebelliously curious. Uh, Always wanting answers. And I always say I'm a little bit, it's a little bit of like a learning curve for me at times where I'm learning about science and technology. So I really, it's just something that I've always wanted to learn. So my burning questions, I feel that other people would have too. So, you know, I don't think a question's too small or so or too big to ask when I'm talking to a scientist or an ac- someone from academia. So it's really just selfish a little bit <laughs> for myself for a learning. And it's almost like a thesis, this podcast. But then also I ask questions that my listeners would want to know too, that are just as curious as I am. So yeah, that's really how that passion started. And just it's grown now into being something that I never thought it would be. And I can't help but think this must be a very male dominated space. Is that accurate? A hundred percent. It is very, very accurate. Sometimes it's hard to find guests with specific re- like topics within academia uh, because they are male. But it's nice to see that STEM is growing in the science and mathematics and engineering and all of that, that there's a lot more women. But yes, and I'm really the only women. There's not many of us talking about UFOs from an academic perspective. There's just like less than a handful, I'd say, around the world that are doing podcasts on it. So and and I'm lucky that a lot of those women are my friends. So we do support each other and we have this really great community. But yeah, I see that within the science community, too. But it is changing it's really, really changing. So I do try to emphasize both people from the BIPOC community, people, uh, women as well, because we do have to show that there are multiple ideas that are going on within science and with engineering and mathematics that we're able to showcase, not just one perspective. I, I just quickly sort of glanced through um, the podcast and you've had a really impressive roster of guests on your show. So can you share some highlights or really memorable moments from the interviews? Oh gosh, no one's ever asked me that. It's so funny. Uh, Ooh, uh, I've had so many that I've, so many people I've loved to talk to. So Lou Elizondo was one of my first larger interviews. Um, he worked as counterintelligence within the Pentagon. And I've gotten to know Lou fairly well over the years now, and I've spent some time with him too in person. Really wonderful man. Christopher Mellon is the former Undersecretary of Defense. He worked in the Pentagon as well, uh, not anymore, but he's done some amazing work within the UAP topic. Gary Nolan, who is the head of medical at Stanford, has been on my show. I've talked to people um, at Harvard Medical, sorry, at Stanford Medical. I've talked to people at Harvard Medical. So I've just had so many wonderful guests that have been open to share their ideas. Also, just, you know, get curious with me. So I, I do feel very grateful to be able to have them on. I, well, I saw, I'm going to say, you know, you just rhymed off all these impressive people, but who stood out to me was Dave Foley. Yeah, I, I gosh, bravo, Dave. Dave's become such a good friend. You know, I honestly, I love Dave. Dave loves UFOs and I'm going to drop his podcast too because he he does have a UFO podcast. So go check it out. Uh, and yeah, he's become a really good friend. So yeah, D- Dave Foley is just, he's one of my favorite comedians if people don't know. His work at Kins of the Hall is unbelievable. And he also has uh, Kids of the Hall on Amazon right now, which I tell everyone to go watch because it's hilarious. But he really does love science and UFOs just as much as I do. So that's where our mutual passion comes from. And also, I'm a huge fan of his work. And I love anything to do with stand-up comedy or sketch comedy. So yeah, that's how that relationship started. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So how do you how does your background then in PR and media, how does that influence your approach to podcasting, especially when discussing, you know, really complex scientific topics that I think the average layperson may not understand immediately? Yeah, that's another good question. It's really looking at the information and knowing what are the best parts to tell and how to tell them in like real layman's terms for everybody. Because sometimes I get reports and I look at, you know, um, theses or whatever it may be or studies, and they're so enriched with, you know, academia and words that you really do have to synthesize it into something less and something that's layman's terms. So watching other science podcasters do this, watching other science communicators, but my podcasting or my PR side has really helped me because 
I've been able to do more journal- journalistic work, investigative journalism too within this show. So asking the hard questions and knowing that maybe what they're not going to answer and how they're going to answer it. Because the one thing I do teach in public relations is the tactic of cherry picking and bridging. So when you're talking to someone that's former Pentagon or you're really trying to get into asking questions to, you know, to reveal maybe some uh, responses that maybe they haven't said before in specific shows, you kind of learn, you know, which way they're going to go or when they're maybe bridging to uh, a positive, as we call it. So they're trying to get out of the question. So that's really helped me out of all the funny enough out of all the things. But yeah, I think overall, just the efforts and understanding of communications helps anybody podcast. What impact do you hope rebellious, Rebelliously Curious will have on listeners, especially in terms of fostering a greater interest in, in science and space, I imagine. But what else are you hoping to sort of influence people on? Yeah, I want them to get curious. And I want them to see that science and these topics are really approachable and that anybody can get involved. And it doesn't take scientists, it doesn't take, you know, people that have gone to these amazing universities to be able to really understand these concepts and how they apply to our life. So I am really like the average Jane, you know, looking to ask questions and to understand, because let's be honest, I don't understand everything. My background, even though I have an interest in it, uh, and I've been studying it throughout my life, but my background in education is is not science. I wish it was, maybe in another life, but <laughs> but right now that wasn't the cards I was dealt. So I'm very happy that I'm able to do this and people are responding to it and they like it. So yeah, I I really want people to know that these topics are approachable and they're fun. And honestly, for the past 10 years and 20 years, science and technology has grown unbelievably where that it's almost sci-fi. So like, it's just unbelievable the stuff that we're seeing. So that makes it really exciting. And I want people to be part of what's happening right now. And the Canadian Podcast Awards are really significant recognition. So how does it feel to be nominated? Oh, it's it's awesome. I was surprised, actually, <laughs> uh, when I saw it. So I was like, oh, I'll just know, you know, you throw yourself to see if you'll be nominated. And yeah, I was and I'm around some really great podcasts. You know, I believe that one of the universities has one, uh, a science podcast as well. So if I don't win, that's OK. I always have another years, but uh, I hope I do. Let's be honest. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to be part of such a great community. What advice would you give someone who's looking to start their own podcast in in this niche or maybe just another niche in general? Yeah, I would say just start it. You know, start the podcast. You will start to find your audience. Ways to find audience, funny enough, podcasters use X or so it was called Twitter uh, before. And we still do. There's such a community there. There's also a podcasting community on Instagram as well. But find your community, find your niche and start interacting with those people and just start the show. You know, grab yourself like a mic, a good quality microphone. If you don't even want to do video and it's straight audio, grab yourself a good quality microphone because it's so important. Spend that money and just start teaching yourself how to edit. You know, use basic editing platforms like GarageBand. Gosh, that's what I use at times. So, and I taught myself how to do all those things. I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know how to edit video or audio. So it can be taught, it can be learned and it doesn't take a long time. And if you really love it, you'll find your people and you'll find your community. All right. Well, I want people to be able to find you. So where can they do that? Where can they find the podcast and keep up with you on social media? For sure. Uh, They can go to uh, thedebrief.org. That's the media outlet that I work with and that hosts the podcast. But the show is called Rebelliously Curious. If you write that in, you'll see Rebelliously Curious pop up. I'm on all streaming platforms. Also, it is a video, YouTube video interview too. So you can watch it on YouTube. And yeah, and they can find me on Twitter at Chrissy Newton or on Instagram at being Chrissy Newton. So all those all those fun places. <laughs> Wonderful. Chrissy, I can't thank you enough. I just want to let people know that I often interact with you on the PR side of things. So it's actually been as much fun for me to learn about what you're doing in this uh, realm as people listening. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. In this 
this next interview, we're diving into a topic that's both intriguing and maybe a little bit controversial with author Rebecca Martin. Her new book, The Work Boyfriend, is a captivating story that delves into the complexities of workplace relationships and the thin line between professional and personal boundaries. Set against the backdrop of the holiday season, it's a tale that many might find relatable. Rebecca, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So The Work Boyfriend is a story that will resonate with many, I'm sure. So can you tell us a bit about your protagonist, Kelly, and what inspired her character? Absolutely. Um, uh, A lot of writers will talk about how their fiction is autobiographical. So this is a little autobiographical in the sense that I worked when I was younger at a television company where we were all a group of young people and hung out all the time. And most of us had relationships outside of our workplace, but then there were obviously flirtations and a lot of misadventures, nothing that really crossed the line, but I was really inspired to sort of look a little bit deeper at what would happen if that line did get crossed. And that was the inspiration for Kelly. So the book explores then the concept of a work boyfriend. And in your opinion, why do you think this kind of relationship is so common in the workplace? I think that it's absolutely inevitable when you spend so much time with people pre-pandemic, because now so many of us work from home, in a really sort of cloistered environment where you're you're spending lunch times and working late and outside of work, sort of socializing with the same group of people that it's inevitable that flirtations and attraction develops. And I really wanted to dig into how that could affect a a stable relationship. So Kelly has her long-term boyfriend that she's been with for quite some time. He wants to take the next steps in their lives, and she's not really 100% convinced that that's right for her. And I think that that conflict between what could be of this imaginary work boyfriend that you have so much in common with and the what is, is a very interesting conflict to explore in a novel. So that was where I thought the tension could come from. The you know, is my life great the way that it is? Or is it something that, you know, what could be with this person that I get along with so well, which is what your work boyfriend is? And in the book, you touch on, I mean, the book itself touches on heightened emotions and passions during the holiday season. Why do you think this time of year is particularly ripe for workplace affairs? I mean, personally, I think that, you know, again, pre-pandemic, when we were all having big holiday festivities, the book is actually set, the primary section of the book is set in the mid-2000s. I think that that was the time when companies had budgets and wanted to reward their staff for the hard work of the year. So alcohol was a little bit more free-flowing. You know, sometimes inhibitions were were less than they normally were if you were in a normal setting. And that forced proximity and that closeness sometimes can tip over the line. And I really was very interested in what is the line? Like, where is Kelly going to be on the line and where is she going to perhaps be over the line? And I think the, the, the novel really plays with both. You know, it was really important to me that she be messy because I think that that state of your life, like in your, in your early to mid twenties, when you're really trying to figure out who you are, you're really ripe for making mistakes. And I think the easiest place to make mistakes is when you become an adult for the first time at work. So you're going to be more inclined to fall into an an affair or all those kinds of things. Not saying that that happens with Kelly, but when your life is not a hundred percent set yet, I I don't know if, if I'm explaining it exactly the way that I was imagining it, but she's not an adult yet. She was pretending to be an adult, but she's got to go through this mess to really figure out who she is. And that was important to me. Emotional affairs, you know, a lot of women will say an emotional affair is just as bad, and they often start in the workplace. How do you think these compare to physical affairs in terms of the impact on personal relationships? Oh, I mean, I am not a psychologist, and I'm not a marriage counselor. Um, But I do think that it's a really fine line between friendship and emotional affair. And 
I think a lot of people come down in the binary. They decide that people can be friends. You can have friends of the opposite sex, or if you're um, not straight, you can have, you know, friendships that blur those lines. And it was really interesting to me to kind of see emotionally how that could impact a relationship because she's hiding things from her boyfriend. She's not telling him that they're having lunch every day. She's not telling him how much she texts. They text one another on their Blackberries because, you know, it's of that time. Um, And I think that what's really um, interesting is exploring how far you can push it before you really go over the line. And finally, what do you hope people walk away or take away from Kelly's journey and the choices she faces in this book? I really want people to know that it's okay to make mistakes and that it's okay for your life to change and to just embrace it if you can and be messy because when you come out the other side, like it's, you're going to be happier for it. Wonderful. Rebecca, it's been a delight. I actually can't wait to read this book. Uh, so can you tell people where they can find it and how to keep up with you? Uh, absolutely. Uh, anywhere on Amazon, I would uh, just Google the work boyfriend and it'll be the first title that comes up and you can find me and on Instagram. It's at tragic right hip. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me today, Rebecca. <laughs> Thank you for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. In this next interview, I'm joined by Julia Hu, the co-founder of Mr. and Mrs. Bao, a popular eatery located in London, Ontario, known for its delicious and authentic Bao buns. In today's conversation, we'll delve into the realities of running a food service business in 2023, the challenges faced, and why it's crucial for us as consumers to support small, locally owned restaurants. Welcome to the show, Julia. Thank you, Candice. It's great to be here. I feel this is a really important time to be talking about this as December's here and, you know, the la- January is typically a slower month for restaurants. So what inspired you to start your business and what keeps you passionate about it? Well, um, the business actually started back in 2017. My partner and I were feeling really homesick, actually. Uh, we, we were missing authentic um, Asian cuisine, uh, stuff that my grandma used to make. Um, and so we thought, okay, so how maybe other students and other uh, young professionals are feeling the same way. So maybe we can do that and offer uh, our, our products on campus. And we did that um, and uh, fortunately received a lot of positive feedback from the community. Right around when COVID hit, um, we realized that actually maybe people were feeling really lonely, um, not having the opportunity to interact with others um, in the community because everyone was sort of stuck at home. So then we decided to open um, our restaurant, Mingle by Mr. and Mrs. Bao, because we thought that it would be a good opportunity for people to come and enjoy good food and also interact with others in the community. So it's a little bit of how we got started. But the food service industry has really been under a lot of pressure. So how has it changed in recent years, especially with the pandemic? And how have these changes impacted your business? Um, I'd say there's a few waves of of major changes and it took some adapting and pivoting our idea. Um, first of all, I think the biggest hit was uh, the lockdowns. So that actually um, really showed us the importance of partnering with delivery platforms and being more um, like being a partner with the advancements in, in technology because um, that's one of the ways that we can get continue to get our products out to uh, our guests. And we saw a lot of success in doing that. Um, And then the other thing is, um, I think in today's day and age, people are looking for fun experiences, but also a reason to come back to your restaurant. So for us at uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bao, it's through our unique food, but also the types of experiences that we offer our guests. Um, We have paint nights and speed dating and dumpling workshops. We really try to change it up. So that there's a reason for um, guests to come and have a good time with their friends and family. 
Oh, I love that. So you're creating community in your in your restaurant. That's wonderful. Um, our uh, mission is to build a community through sharing the taste of home. Oh, lovely. So it's, it, it's really a tough time of year. So what's your secret to staying resilient right now? Because I just, I feel so bad for people in the food industry business right now. Inflation, everything is is piling on. So how do you stay committed and resilient in this in this environment? Um, well, truthfully, it's not without challenges. Um, we actually had to downsize our business. Um, right around COVID, we saw a lot of growth um, with the delivery platforms. So we actually expanded in, in terms of number of restaurants and also uh, the types of brands. But we realized that it's actually really important to do something well um, and then expand. So actually what we're doing is we're just focusing on the core values and offerings of Mr. and Mrs. Bao as a brand. We're focused on doing that really well to make sure that, you know, one happy guest will bring 10 new ones. And so I think that's truthfully how we've been able to manage. It's just through growing organically, making sure that each guest walks away happy and uh, making sure that we're supporting our employees along the process too, because um, good employees lead to happy guests as well. So we spoke a little bit about you know, how you're creating community in your restaurant. Uh, do you play a larger role in the community? And, and how do you see your business contributing beyond just serving food? Um, definitely. Um, we participate in the community by participating in other um, events. For example, we were at uh, Busker Fest in Toronto, um, the Epilepsy Christmas Market. Uh, we're partnering with the London uh, Food Bank to provide um, donations to people in need. Um, we are a hub for um, entrepreneurship classes. Um, We've had a very recent uh, opportunity to host a Western Founders networking event for young and aspiring um, founders and entrepreneurs. And so in, in these activities, uh, we try to promote and be a positive um, impact in the community. And uh, we do try to give back at any time that we can. And we often sponsor clubs at Western University. Um, as well as um, community activities, um, such as fundraisers um, that different people do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be in London in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to do my very best to get by Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Bao when I'm there, because it's clear that this is more than just a restaurant. It's a passion project that enriches the local community. And I really encourage listeners right now to support local businesses like Mrs., Mr. and Mrs. Bao, no matter where you're located, and experience unique flavors and experiences from your local community, because it's really important. These restaurants need us more than ever. Julia, thank you for joining me today. Uh, you're shining a light on, I think, what's the reality for a lot of small uh, business owners, especially in the food industry. So thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Candice. It's my pleasure. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.